the millennials trying to build togetherness, right? They're trying to put community and the way it's turned out is that it's online. Welcome to the Fail Level Plan podcast. I'm Shane Matthew. Now, industry groups are an essential part of any profession. They allow practitioners and thought leaders to share knowledge and generate ideas with their colleagues in a collaborative setting. Now, for decades, the standard industry group format has featured meetings where a keynote speaker lectures in front of a passive audience. And for many professionals, that model still works. However, a new generation is making up an increasingly large percentage of the workforce, one that brings with it new priorities and ideas that don't necessarily fit the mold of current formats. This week on the podcast, we're going to explore the impact that the next generation of professionals is having on the business continuity industry. We've got two great guests with us. First, we're going to hear from Joel Navarro, the global manager of business continuity for Mary Kay, a multi-billion dollar beauty industry wholesaler. Joel also serves as the membership director for the North Texas chapter of the Association of Continuity Professionals, a U.S.-based business continuity professional group. We're going to get his insights on the impacts that the younger generations of professionals have had on business continuity industry groups. We're also going to hear from Grace Burley, Managing Director of Corporate Resilience at Whit O'Brien, a large consulting practice. Grace has been working in the industry for years and has taken special attention to identifying generational gaps. She's applied her learnings over her career and has made several presentations on this subject. She's going to give us some insights on the key differences between the boomers and millennials, how millennials deal with information and options that industry groups could employ to increase participation and value to this next generation of business continuity professionals. Now, before we get into the show, I want to ask you to each leave us a review this week on iTunes. Each review helps us learn more about our audience and what you like or don't like about the show. So take a moment to let us know how we're doing by reviewing us this week. It's as simple as clicking five little stars. So take a moment to guarantee that I'll keep getting out of bed each week to make these shows by reviewing us today. And as a special bonus, leave us a review this week and your name will be entered into our upcoming Christmas listeners raffle. All right, let's get on with the show. Well, welcome to the show, Joel Navarro. Thank you for joining us today. You're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. So Joel is a, a leader, obviously, with the Association of Continuity Professionals. So we've got to meet off and on over the years with the ACP chapter that I'm a part of here in, in Dallas. Uh, but Joel, you know, you didn't just wake up one day and become a leader in the organization. <laughs> how did you get in the field and uh, how did you join ACP? I joined ACP probably back in the early 2000s. So my first full-time business continuity position uh, probably started around 2005. That's when I really started my career in business continuity management. But um, I was a, a, a member of the local chapter. I, I had a mentor of mine, uh, really, that kind of um, said, you know, this is a, a, a pretty good networking tool. It's a great way to learn um new things, uh, and certainly um, talk about some current events that were happening at the time. And so I became a member. Um, within a couple of years, I sort of stepped up a little bit and, and accepted some positions as a programs director, um, and as well as membership director. Um, and that was, um, like I said, in the early 2000s, kind of when I started doing that stuff. And really, you know, ACP is about um, furthering your career, right? So I got to learn a little bit about being new to the industry. I got to learn a little bit about from uh, specifically from other leaders. Right. So as a membership uh, chair, you know, what's kind of, what's the responsibilities that you have when it comes to that type of role? You know, we partner with, uh, with the programs director and sort of help to market ACP in our local chapter area. I think that's a really big, important thing. Uh, we want to sustain membership. Uh, one of my primary goals uh, being membership chair is that uh, I want to certainly expand on our uh, diversity and experience uh, because I think that's what makes our local chapters, right? What makes pretty much any organization really powerful is, you know, about the diversity and, and the expansive experience from those who have a little bit of experience to those who've been around for 
20 plus years. Yeah. So what are we talking here? Are, we, are you standing on the side of the expressway with a giant sign, you know, waving around like you see in the new buildings uh, and new uh, furniture stores or something like that? Or, like, what's it look like uh, on a practical level? You know, Shade, I'm, I'm all in. And if a billboard, a spinning billboard <laughs> on the corner will do it, uh, then I'm out there. You know, I'll, I'll create the billboard and I'll stand out there for a couple of hours. You, you know, I, I think mainly right now it is probably through, um, word of mouth. It, it, it kind of hasn't changed from when I started in the industry where uh, someone in the industry uh, uh, gets a new position or comes on board for the first time and someone else is an ACP member and says, hey, I've got this great organization that can really keep up with current events, can kind of give you different approaches, let you know what the organizations and the professionals around you are doing. So I, I think that's still our primary thing. Mm -hmm. Certainly we have printed materials. We have newsletters that go out to uh, all members, including former members, to sort of let them know, hey, we're still out here. If you want to rejoin the organization or, or, or uh, continue being active with us, uh, you know, come join us. Come join us at an event. Is there a, uh, an age group or a professional set that you tend to see uh, coming into the organization, is it is it all over the place, or is there kind of like a you know a typical genre <laughs> of, sure. of professionals who who find ACP and other groups like it you know attractive? I think it kind of depends on where you are. Uh, you know, uh, sort of the Central Texas chapter where I uh, used to be a, a member of. Uh, it's a university. There's quite a few universities there, right? University towns. And so uh, there's a little bit more involvement from the younger folks. I think we either see folks who are uh, in it for the first time, um, mm. who just sort of got their jobs, or I see the seasoned professional who's been with us for 20 some odd years, and maybe they got asked to speak, and now they're becoming a member and, and they're uh, joining the ranks. Uh, I think it's, you know, like everything else, it's it's the middle ground. It's those folks that have maybe been in for a couple of years uh, and are settling in and, and we want to hear their experiences. And uh, I think that's probably where yeah. at least my focus as the membership director kind of wants to be is, uh, I, yes, we uh, I, I'm looking to get uh, to, to help folks that have been um, that are starting off in the industry that have just maybe started and kind of keep them keep them coming into the organization. Now, when you when you think about the younger professionals, you know we're in a totally different grouping of people now. Like you said, I'm in I'm in the same age range. I think you are, and you know it's definitely like uh, I'm not seeing as many young faces as I would love to see in some of our our, our meetings. So, is that a trend that I'm sensing, or is that just the the way that uh, these things kind of work over time? You know, I, I think that's, uh, I, I don't know that I would call it a trend. Uh, I, I really do think it is just uh, sort of the way it's working, right? We, um, you know, when I started out in business continuity, uh, there wasn't, there weren't emergency management programs at the collegiate level, right? When we talk about younger generations, um, there was barely a, you know, information management type things, which are prevalent in pretty much any university now. Uh, and now we're starting to see universities uh, that are offering online as well as in-person business continuity programs. So I think there is a, I, I think some of that's just natural progression. And, you know, when it comes to um, trying to uh, gain the attention or compete for the dollars of those students, it's, it's uh, kind of the same thing, right? Uh, it's a little bit of, um, you know, finding their value. Uh, first of all, uh, depending on which chapter you're in, uh, it's possible that, you know, you've got to go find out where they are, where they're graduating from and, and sort of reach out to them. Right. Um, I remember being a college student, right? You know, our, our dues are uh, not the highest out there, but they are certainly significant. And, you know, I, I'm, I would rather have a, a 12 pack of my Coca-Cola's on the weekend <laughs> than I would to pay for a, you know, ACP membership that may, may or may not turn into a job prospect uh, after I graduate. Right. So interesting. Yeah. I, I think there's a lot that we have to reach out to them. And I, I think the challenges are still the same for some of the younger generation, but you know, we've had an opportunity with COVID uh, to sort of um, move. They sort of forced us to move in that direction. You know, our, our organization has always been focused on that in-person networking, 
um, as well as our presentations, right, as well as the knowledge transfer, is it's all in person, right? We like to see faces and we provide lunch and things like that. And uh, that's been great. And, and, and the folks that have been involved uh, have enjoyed that. Uh, but I think the younger generation, certainly we, we hear it more and more, you know, the four-year-olds who know how to do Photoshopping that I can't even imagine doing myself, you know, they, they come out of the crib already knowing how to edit videos. Um, so I, I think COVID has provided us an opportunity to almost be more virtual, right? We've had to be virtual. Mm. Uh, you know, we've moved away from the in-person. So some of that, uh, moving on to social media, having to address how we get our, uh, how we get ACP out there awareness level. Uh, right. It's got to be through social media, right? It's, it's going to be through virtual meetings. So um, it's, you know, uh, we're having to change the way we network. Um, it's not just person to person and uh, we're all going to meet up at a conference that the professionals are giving, you know, a DRJ or, or a continuity insights conference and, and, you know, have an opportunity there. It's going to be, we're, you're going to have to, do something a little bit more virtual and give them, show them the value through that. So you're sensing that there's uh, definitely a different way of engagement that's going to, it's, it's, it's evolving obviously because of COVID, but are you sensing that that's the mechanisms that uh, younger professionals tend to enjoy as well? So it's like kind of a added benefit of going virtual. You know, as I look things in the industry with just the organization that I work for um, things are, you know, the, the way that, the younger generation purchases things right off the shelf, whatever their needs are, is a lot through um, those social networking uh, devices, right? Through virtual type things. So, you know, going to the store to purchase something um, is is not primarily the primary method, right? Uh, there's a reason that Jeff Bezos is the richest man in the world, right? Uh, everyone yeah. loves to Amazon and you get it in a couple of days. So I think we have to, ACP has to think about how we market and how we get our awareness out there. We, we've had a website that is uh, chocked full of, uh, of great information, right? Uh, older um, presentations that have given throughout the year, documentation, how to sort of further your career. Uh, but I think we've got to probably do more than that, right? Uh, there used to be a time when, uh, not saying that, that we haven't and that the board's not focused on that, but we... Um, there was a time when, you know, the internet came out and you just needed to have a page uh, out there, right? You just needed somebody, <laughs> just you, needed to have, you needed to have a placeholder that said, hey, I'm, I'm on the internet, right? It was a right, big deal. Right, right, right. And it right. became transactional and, you know, it's like, oh, you could, you could actually sign up online, right? So that was, that was it. That was the, the, the height of it. And now we've seen so much more things. I don't want to say that they are intrusive to our lives, but they, they do reach out and grab us. So I, I think we've got to do a little bit more of that to sort of gain our membership, especially with the younger crowd. So what's groups like ACP supposed to do to understand the younger generation's preferences? Next up, we're going to talk with a professional who spent time analyzing generational differences and applying what she's learned to her career. Well, welcome to the show, Grace Burley. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me. I saw a presentation uh, that Grace did a while back, uh, but it, it was in the context that we're discussing today around generations and um, you know some of the key issues that industries like business continuity are facing. Uh, with trying to work through, you know, new generations of people that are coming into uh, our world, right? So um, today, you know, is really an, a great opportunity to get to to kind of see um, someone who's already started thinking about this and, and talking about this and knows a great deal about this. But for the audience sake, you know, you know Grace, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Uh, we'd love to, to learn more about where your background is. Sure. So my name is Grace Burley, and I work for, I'm a managing director at Widow Bryans, uh, which is a large consulting firm, and we are based both in Washington, D.C. and Houston. Uh, we do work internationally, though. Uh, it's a large consulting firm that deals with both the public and the private sector, but all my work is all with the private sector. So everything that I'm going to talk about is going to be focused on private sector. And um, I started in this business a really long time ago and it found me 
Um, I was uh, a marketing director at an architecture firm and I got a call kind of out of the blue um, to go and, 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 and interview as a marketing uh, director for a crisis management company. And I thought, well, that's too interesting not to at least go talk to the folks. So <laughs> right. I went and, uh, and I interviewed for it and I got the job and I started out in the marketing, but that was in 2000. So it was right before 9-11. So I had been there sort of long enough to kind of get my feet wet and I was an English major so I can write. Um, so people just had me writing stuff and I was really working with the, all the subject matter experts. But I think that like as it pertains even to the conversation today, I was the only Gen X you know, like really throughout all of the early time of my career, I kind of felt like I was the only Gen X working with a lot of boomers, which was fine. You know, that's 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 that, that's how how it goes. So um, I was really providing that kind of support, following everybody around, writing materials for them, helping with with exercises. And then uh, some of the core folks of my of my group, we we did start. I, I started uh, Strategic Crisis Advisors, and it's always been focused on sort of strategic strategic uh, aspects of both crisis management and business continuity. Um, but we work with uh, a, a lot of the Fortune 100. It's the very large organizations and helping them from a strategic perspective around crisis management and business continuity. And one company that I am in some ways allowed to talk about, there's certainly the fact that I've worked with them, which is very relevant to this conversation, has been Facebook. And so I've worked with Facebook to help them implement their internal crisis management and business continuity for um, the past five years. Um, so that definitely will be relevant. So uh, then uh, I became part of Wood O'Brien's, uh, our whole team became part of Wood O'Brien's in 2018. Um, it definitely, we've grown very quickly. And so it was uh, a little easier to just become part of a larger organization that had a very similar mission. They wanted to add the corporate and private sector aspect of the business. That's completely what we focused on. So it's been a really natural mix ever since. You know, let's talk about that that what you'd mentioned earlier you alluded to some of the common terminology we often hear the boomer generation the the uh, millennial generation or the gen x generation so for the sake of the context of this conversation how would you define it because it's so it seems like it's you know it's <laughs> people use years sometimes or people use characteristics how do you tend to think about the generations uh, that are still around today right and i don't think that there is an a right answer to it. I will tell you like how I look at it because um, so in, I think it was 1989, I read it in about 1991-ish. There was a book by um, Strauss and Howe. It's, it's two different gentlemen, one who's actually passed away by now, but they wrote this book and it was, it's called uh, Generations, the History of America's Future. And it, it lays out this theory of generations um, that it is a cycle of four types of generations. And this just pertains to the United States. Um, but it's a cycle of four generations that has repeated itself every single time since mm -hmm. 1584, I think is when they start. Oh, wow. So they go back really far. And, 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 and it's easy for me to dive a little too deep into this. Um, but so feel free to... <laughs> I'll reel you back if it, if it gets... <laughs> yeah, reel, reel me back. Um, because I find it fascinating. And I have found it fascinating for such a long time. But when I read this book, and I was kind of coming out of college, and I thought, wow, that really really rings true to me that there are these four types of generations that do but if you think of it more as like a pendulum that swings back and forth and so for our sort of common way of thinking of the generations right now the 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 pendulum is the baby boomers and the millennials which i think is why there's probably more that well there definitely is like more even just discussed in media about like almost the strife between those two generations and then you've got like gen x like me sitting in the middle kind of like, I don't know. <laughs> quietly just waiting <laughs> for our time just, yeah no, no, i, get I don't that. think we are waiting for our time we just sit and we just watch them just, fight but <laughs> Let's go back and forth. The middle child. We are we are the middle child. I am the middle child, so I'm totally comfortable in that. Totally I get totally it. get it. Yeah. Um, See, I'm an elder child. I'm the oldest, right. so I'm struggling. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. There's so many memes, you know, from the office that I You're just right. like so identify with uh, when it comes to like watching the two generations kind of fight it out. But I, I, I definitely yeah. do like I understand. Like, I, I think that I do have an unusual perspective on it because I've been thinking about it my entire career. 
Like I, mm-hmm. I've always had this sort of in the back of my mind as to how different the generations are and almost how to adapt when you're working with one or the other. Um, wow. And maybe that is really the middle child in me is, is really just trying to try to figure out, okay, how do we accomplish the task? Like at the end of the day, I'm extremely driven. So it's like, I just want to succeed in whatever the project or whatever the client that I'm working on. I, I want to make sure that whenever we're implementing a program that it's really truly implemented. It's not just something on paper. So how do we change Right. You know, how do we change culture? And so that immediately gets into who is your audience and who the audience is when, you know, when we're dealing with Facebook, it definitely leans to the millennial. But I have a lot of clients that I've worked for for a very long time, insurance companies and large banks and you know, government institutions even, you know, that are very formal. And, um, and so right. how do we kind of do that? And why are we kind of at the position now? Because I feel it. I feel it when we when I do go to conferences um, that it's still primarily a lot of boomers. You definitely have the Gen Xers um, sort of mixing in, but I I think a lot of it is still being driven in some ways anyway, by the sort of the boomer way of doing things. And and I think that that's, it's natural. Like there does have to sort of be as time continues to grow and also as millennials continue to get older, like millennials now, mm-hmm. again, depending on how you define it, um, you know, they're, they're, they're getting up to be, I think it's 40. Um, so, you yeah. Know. yeah, 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 yeah. They're no longer, the, uh, you, people tend to think millennials are like in their twenties uh, only, right. but no. And in fact, it's actually, they're, they're, they're having children. They're having older children now in some cases, you know, so it's, it's, it's changing. Mm-hmm dramatically what our perception should be about what millennials are. So let's focus in on, on, on the boomer. Uh, you said something earlier when we were talking about this topic um, before the show about the concept of, you know, what they tended to be like when they started out and what they maybe are now. You know, can you talk a little bit more about the, the kind of dichotomy between what the boomer generation kind of be, can be, can described as? Sure. So, you know, always keep in mind that this book was written in 1989, right? So, so, so <laughs> right. It, because it, you'll, you'll kind of go like, oh my gosh, because it, everything about it kind of feels like it rings true to current state. But when they're describing the type of generation, they're actually not describing boomers. They're describing the the um, idealist is what they're what it's called the idealist type of generation and what they say about that generation in that book is that they start out extremely idealistic and if you think if if we do use the boomers as that example if you think of woodstock and really breaking down huge norms that absolutely needed to be broken down we all have to thank the boomers for that they were the ones who really started to break down some of those barriers that have allowed gen x and millennials, you know, ironically, but it is, it's around gender and it's around race. And some of those changes that really started because the boomers were having Woodstock and really thinking about things differently than, you know, the, the, the last version of the millennials. So thinking of like the type, the last version of the millennials is actually like the greatest generation. So there are the world war two vets which I find fascinating. And like, as the, the, as they're growing up, as the millennials are growing up, like I definitely see a little bit more um, connection than like when I first started thinking about, you know, how, how do those two, two uh, generations really relate to each other? But anyway, so with the boomers, like what it says is that they start out very idealistic and that's the, that's the generation type, but they become extremely pessimistic because they see that, you know, I mean, again, not just boomers, but like that type of generation that they see that it doesn't, you know, no matter what you want to set up as that utopian vision, then it doesn't come to fruition. And then it brings on a whole line of pessimism. Um, and, I, and I think that that's, it's fascinating just to kind of think in the, in the current state that we're in, it's like, okay, that makes sense. But so then what, what, so if you think of the idealistic type of generation, really trying to tear down the norms, and you think of the civic type of generation, So the millennials trying to build togetherness, right? They're trying to put community and the way it's turned out is that it's online, you know, which is like a huge shift, right? I mean, it's a huge change, but that's like the whole sort of movement of social media 
and um, the you know constantly being connected on our phones, it is sort of building that civic just in a very different way. So that's I think why they have. I think that that's why they have a little bit of of trouble because they just see the world so differently. Uh, and the millennials didn't get the benefit. I mean, they can you know watch the documentaries and stuff, but they didn't get the benefit of seeing the early stages of the idealistic way that boomers approach the world in their 20s, you know? Yeah, that is true. I mean, like, yeah, if you if you don't really have a clear picture of what was coming before you, then you just assume naturally that you're the first. <laughs> that it <this> didn't happen. <laughs> Interesting. So, you know, let's, let's dive into that grouping. I mean, like, we can call them millennials or we can call them civic. I, I like the idea that, you know, it's, it is going to be cyclical or pendulum as you described it. So we can kind of be prepared in some ways. Right. But, you know, when you, when you think about them in the context of, of business continuity in general, you know, what would be some of the experiences or, or characteristics that we would tend to see in that civic minded as it relates to business continuity? Perhaps? Right, right. I think that's a great question. So to me, I think one of the most like the best observations maybe that I've mustered up <clears throat> starting early on was the way that CEOs and top level leaders, because again, I've had that unusual like glimpse into all that, the way that they interpret information is very similar to how millennials in general interpret information, which is, I have so much to read, I need to focus in, you know, make sure that you're leading with what's important. Um, make right. it because I, you know, I have to really focus on that. And I think that actually the drive to be able to communicate better um, and, you know, get to the important stuff first, make it more easily accessible, pay attention to what it looks like, because that's going to drive how people perceive the information. All of that that is almost demanded silently by the millennial generation. Whereas, like, I, I think, you know, they, they have grown up inundated with information their entire lives. Mm. Very, very different from like my childhood where I would read the same horse books like every single you know year because like they weren't writing horse books fast enough. So it was like I you know I would just read them. <laughs> There's a copy of Encyclopedia Brown sitting on my my daughter's now bookshelf that is well worn from Shane's uh, early <laughs> repetitive reading. Right. <laughs> Where the millennials, right from the get-go, I mean, they've been totally inundated with information. And so they yeah. have to be able, it's, it's a survival instinct, you know, they've got to be able to sort through what's important, cut to the chase really quickly, which ironically is exactly how leadership um, at companies, yeah. I feel, and it, same reason, they just have so much on their desk, they have so much to worry about that they need to kind of cut right. to the chase first. So it doesn't mean, and this is what I want to make really, really clear, it does not mean that we don't dive into the detail. What it means is how it is conveyed has to go ahead and grab people to understand why it's important. Why is this business continuity plan important and what is it going to do for me? And I think that yeah. that same exact issue is a little bit at play when, when we talk about like the organizations um, and industry, you know, conferences and stuff like that. Like, why are they not why are they not signing up for those? Like, why are they why are the millennials not coming to those? And, and I would argue, actually, some of them are. Um, I mean, and, right, and I right. try at one of the continuity insights one, because I was I presented the first time on millennials in 2016. It was the first time okay. and it was at continuity insights and, and it was the first millennial discussion, you know, and then the next year it was like there were 20 presentations on millennials. But what made me kind of laugh was none of them were by millennials. So then the next year I said, I'm going to put together a panel of millennials because I love working with okay. millennials. Like I feel like they, if you can really harness their creativity, their ability to leverage tech, 
their ability to sift through information and focus on what's important because they have to. And that's the only thing that they've done their entire lives. Like, I think we can actually move the industry considerably far forward um, than, you know, the I would say the common complaint that I've heard from since the beginning of time about the business continuity industry, business continuity industry is that like there are all these like reams of plans and papers and right. everything else. And it's like nothing tells me what to do. So I don't use it. Right. And that's not across the board, but that's been the common complaint. So how do we connect that deep level of detail with that that exists within business continuity in a way that's more accessible to leaders across the whole organization, you know, of all generations? You know, the stuff that millennials kind of demand, they demand it by completely tuning it out if it's if it's not. You know, if it doesn't, if it's, if it's not, not right, if it's not working, yeah, yeah, like they'll yeah, have a tendency yeah. to create their own. You know, I mean, they're like, well, that doesn't work. Um, I sort of equate it to if you give somebody, it's like, if you give a millennial something that's written in Times New Roman font, you know what I mean? It's like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it could be the best information they've ever seen in their entire life. But you know what? Wow. They're right. They're not wrong. Yeah. You know, like, how do we take the important Times New Roman information and how do we convey it in a way in, in a visual dashboard where people can access what is important about that information and use it? Um, and I think that that is where I have and my work both with Facebook and with other organizations, because I will say like it was it pushed it was like working with Facebook has pushed me to be way more creative, I think, than I ever would have been. And the entire team that we've had working on that, it's like, how do we think about this in a different way? Right. And what's important out of the traditional way of doing things? And I have one of one of my team members. She's Gen X like me, um, but you know she's she comes from the BC uh, financial world, so she's very like she understands the 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 all of the the regulations and stuff much more deeply than I have ever had to know, and so it sort of became this wonderful sort of back and forth um, about like well, I want to get rid of all of this, you know, like all of this seems too cumbersome. And then she'd be like, no, 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 this is why that's important, you know? And so it was a good kind of pull back and forth about what do we need to keep um, from the traditional that's way of approaching business. Yeah. The data is priceless. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm, as I'm, my mouth is open, you can't see it really, but my mouth is open as I'm thinking about this because one of the shifts I noticed was that we made a change in our crisis management planning. We help companies just like you do. And we made a change where we flipped and put all the response activities at the front of the plan. And we kept the scope and the objectives and everything near the rear of the plan because it's equally important. But what we found is people wanted to just immediately jump, dive into the meat of the plan. And that was a common uh, that was a request in one of our engagements. So we tried it again in the next engagement. And it's just really has been really received well. And since then we've we've always approached it like that now. So, I mean, that to me is just kind of an almost a juxtaposition or an, an ode to what you're saying here in that there was a time where people valued a lot of the information in that format where it's heavy on this is what this is what we're doing here and outline objectives. And then the response is kind of like, the after, afterthought in a way. Well, and a lot but, of business continuity plans don't even get to the action-oriented stuff. Right, it's just right, the right. culmination of data, which almost renders it useless. Like, right. I will not name names on the particular client, but one of the one of the projects that I had, and this was years ago, but it did shape how I thought, you know, specifically about business continuity plans, especially because my background was more in the crisis management world. Um, but you know, obviously they they intersect, and the way that leaders think about it, for the most part, is is there's really little def difference you know, to them is yeah. it's, it's all protection of the business. So like, how do these two things 
work together. But we did a series of exercises for very large companies. And we did a series globally looking at different teams and, um, and it, but it was all focused on business continuity. So this incredibly valuable data that people had killed themselves to try to, to put together and, and, and make sure was, was all there that it didn't even get open. It didn't, yeah. it didn't get cracked. Like it not, not once. And I thought, right. Interesting. You know, so it does mean like for leadership, especially like we need to arm them with the, these are the decisions that you're going to need to make. We can't in business continuity, unlike, you know, sort of where you talk about emergency management stuff to that. A lot of it, you can say, do this first, then do this second, do this third, do this fourth. With business continuity, it's really more about these are the decisions that you might have to make. And right. how do we and, and where do you go get the data that supports whatever decision that you're going to need to make? Where does that data live and how what is it going to look like so that you're not looking at it for the first time and going, no, that still doesn't answer my question. You know, if you yeah. dive too deeply into the processes, for instance, and you might document everything to the nth degree about a specific process, but you can't actually roll that data up into, okay, we just had our New York, New York office close. Like where does, how do we marry the functions versus the sites because I can tell you the leadership does think of it in both terms you know if you know right. so many business disruptions are caused by something that is physical which not always certainly not always but so many of them are so it's like how do we how do we give them the information that, that they can roll up and say okay these are the functions that occur at that site and these are the strategies that that that's that we've determined predetermined that what we're going to do with them but if it's all just to the minutiae it's all if it's all every single process is kind of identified yeah. and that's where like the tools and and i and i'm trying to stay very tool agnostic with it because i've worked with lots of them and i think a lot of them are great um if they're used properly or they can just be a thorn <laughs> in everyone's <laughs> side if you don't know what to do with them um but um, but the tools I think leveraged appropriately get to the millennial boomer divide. Like yeah. they really do. Yeah, yeah. And um, but they're hard. They're really hard to set up in a way. Um, and I think you need to be really strategic about how you're setting it up to to be able to bridge that divide. You know, right, like right. what 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 is all the detail? Yeah, I know I need to know the detail, and it's all there. But how do I slice it of of you know all the names that begin with Q or whatever <laughs> the the request is, and whatever like however you're going to have to look at the business in a different way because of what what it, what the specific incident is. Right. So I want to shift gears a little bit in that you know you 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 touched on this earlier about the idea of of uh community or civic you know is the idea that this group is more focused on so in my mind i think about the collaboration that 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 entails you know so industry associations like you know that are business continuity focused for example you know and the theme of this show is that you know you know what can we do to to further and improve our our engagement by this younger audiences um in this case, like is collaboration, you know, in the industry sense and networking and things like that, is that something that is not as interesting to these individuals or is it just the way that it's framed that needs to kind of maybe change? You know, what are your thoughts? Yeah, there? like, and I, and I don't really know. I mean, um, I, I, I don't, uh, my, my hunch though is that it is twofold. First, a lot of the information is often presented in a way that looks repetitive. Um, so if anybody is like looking to go to a conference one versus another, like you can always find stuff. And I've and presented on the same, same stuff. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm as much a like reader for this as anybody else. I am not throwing stones. Um, yeah. But, you know, how to put together an exercise, how to, you know, like there are certain themes that it just looks so incredibly repetitive, even if it actually isn't, even if the content seems to be different. And I think that if you think of them as trying to tune out, like what's not important, 
Um, It's like, okay, well, that's just another one of those, right? I think some of it also is um, in years and generations past, companies have felt more of a desire and need to send and pay for people to go to conferences. And I think that that has started to wane. Um, people, you know, some companies still value it a lot. If the, if there is a continuing educa- education credit that they must have and that that's important to the company, then the company will go ahead and pay for them to go. But otherwise, you know, it's all on the dime of the millennial. And yeah, now they're reaching 40, but like through their 20s. I mean, if they had a chance to go to the beach or to go to a conference, like, you know, they're going to most likely go to the beach, but I don't blame them. They're right. You know? <laughs> so I think that it's, it, it, it's not just the millennials that are making that happen. I think it's, it's a little bit of the, it is the company companies um, are not supporting it. That's contributing. Yeah. Mm. Um, but I also do think, because I've, I've talked to some of my millennials about, you know, come on, come with me to this conference, you know, come with me to, the, and, and, and the in, instinct, which is not bad, again, it's, it's sort of self-preservation is like, what's the upshot of it? What do I really get out of it? You know, is, is the networking going to take me to the next level? I will say one of the, one of the stereotypes of, of millennials that I have found to be personally very true is in their career, um, they are very impatient. Like they want to know what the next, what is the next step and how do I get there? And, um, right. and sometimes in the business continuity world, crisis management and business continuity, that can be a little fuzzy. So it's like, if I don't see a real clear reason that I'm going to be going to this conference, like especially if I'm paying for it out of my pocket because my company is no longer paying for it, is that, you know, should I go? And, and the answer is, you know, maybe not. Yeah. So, I mean, like, that's a, that's a great point about that because, yeah, is it, is it that the um, marketing or the, the, the criteria for presentations or, or even just the topics and themes of a conference, uh, you know, does that cater to different audiences, you know, or does it focus on what was always done? You know, so as you're, if you were in charge of that, if you were in charge of designing a association or a conference that maybe appealed to more of the millennial generation, you know, what, what would be this? Let's, let's start with the marketing. You're a marketing person, or at least. I was a very least, long time ago. <laughs> a very long time ago, right? But but I, I think that's translated well in your career because I, on a side note, I think everybody in BC should take some marketing classes. It makes a big difference. (laughs) But like, let's just say you're in charge of the future state of a conference or association. You know, what would you say is is going to be kind of the the way you would appeal or market to these individuals? I think you touched on a little bit, but well, how would you approach that? Yeah. You know, I mean, it's interesting. I was actually very much faced with, with, with that um, prospect, unfortunately, you know, like last, last year, and we was super duper fun and we've been meaning to then, you know, repeat it. Right. So we did a Uh women's forum. um, uh, When was it last? It was all before COVID. It was last fall, I guess um, when we did it. And, and it was it was really fun to get to think about like how do we want to do this so that it's different like that was the whole right. point and the point of it was not to make it big because like you know we, we especially when I was uh, as my own company as strategic crisis advisors like I you know I'd been talking about doing this forever right like over my career i've 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 collected this wonderful group of of women that are smart and funny and you know incredibly driven and they didn't have the opportunity to meet each other you know so i kept kind of talking about it but it wasn't until i became part of what o'brien's and they said this is a great idea let's do it and i said okay let's do it and then it was like oh well now i have to do it (laughs) Oh no, <laughs> I'm in trouble. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, you know, I have wonderful folks on my team and we all kind of banded together and we worked with the marketing department, but we did kind of dissect the question. Now for us, I think it was a different type of conference. Like if I were trying to run a different type, you know, I'd have to look at it very differently. But when we were looking at it, we, we, we looked at like, 
kind of cutting to the chase. First of all, why would anybody want to come? Why do they, what is going to really draw them there? So in our instance, it was the ability to truly network, but it was getting some of those key people to say yes on the front end, you know, that we're heading mm. really large organizations and that are kind of big names in their own right to say, do you want to do this? Because then it was like, then and everything sort of started to fall into place. The other thing is, is we intentionally wanted to make it very small. This was the first one. I'd never run a conference, right? Like I've never done this before. Let's do this small, let's do it well, and then let's learn from it and then you know expand it in the future, which is still the plan and we will really get back to it. But um, but what we so so part of it was focusing in on the true networking opportunity, but also not in terms of what can I what, what's going to land me my next job as much as being able to pick the brains of some really wonderful, brilliant other people, ah. right? So it's not right, it, right, it, right. it didn't you know I mean and. It, it, what, I don't feel like it really felt that way at all of like everybody was networking to try to get their next next job. It was very much networking as how have you solved this problem, right? So then w once we sort of dealt with the, you know, why do people want to come? They want to come because of network and they, and they want to come because they want to learn something that they are going to be able to directly, you know, inject into their program to make it better. So luckily being in this industry forever, there are some common problems that I see, you know, all companies kind of wrestle with. So we took three different topics and we said, these, these are the ones that we see. Um, but, you know, come with this prepared to talk about what worked and, and also what didn't like, you know, and, and we had, everybody had to share very carefully on the stuff that didn't, but some of the stories right. and, and presenting it and, and, and making it small enough where really people could share their stories. Um, but we picked things like, Tools, like what are the tools that you use? So we did a, you know, one of those survey tool, like so everybody could answer from their phone of what tools have you used from, you know, different types of automatic notification software to BC planning software to, you know, what, what are the tools that work well for you? So it was taking specific problems that we know that everybody or most companies wrestle with in, in one way or another, and how, right. do, what are the solutions of what has worked and what, and, and and what hasn't and and we set it up very specifically to do that and what we what happened was what we wanted to happen like in but it was beautiful and it was fun and people were able to really get something out of it that was going to be very tangible and i think that the more you know i know all conferences are trying to do exactly that but i think paying almost like that deeper level of uh, of attention to it is the key. I have to contradict you a little bit. I, I think, in fact, that that is a little u more unique than what we're sensing in the in the marketplace because generally our conferences are kind of a wide net of topics. Uh, it you know you might find a track, for example, that specifies around hey this particular thing like tools, like you mentioned. But in general, there's not a hey stick to this and this is what we're going to do here. It may be smaller. It may be a little bit more defined clearly, but it's kind of a, we do, we're going to do everything, a hodgepodge, a, a smorgasbord, right? That's, and, and I'm not, I'm not saying that that wasn't a good approach, but maybe there's an, a need for some specific focus because there's groups like the millennials that value that, you know, and, and, and maybe, maybe it's coming down to marketing too, you know, to really express what the value proposition is to that specific generation or that group, as opposed to just saying, hey, this is gonna give you some CEs and <laughs> you're gonna enjoy the location and meet some people. Right. It seems like we're, we're, we're a tad bit vague in what you're gonna take away. And I think that's the biggest takeaway for me in this conversation is that there's ways to solve this problem. It's just a matter of deciding whether you wanna solve it, you know, and, and investing in that. And listening to them. You know, I mean, I think that there is like I, I, when I there's so many articles and everything sort of written about millennials. And I just kind of will roll my eyes at them, I think, just like the millennials, because like they, they don't <laughs> like 
it's not the millennials that are talking about the millennials. You know, I mean, they, there are certainly are articles that, that, that do that too. And a lot of times those are funny um, and that they're good and that you understand the perspective a little bit, but really listening to them and understanding like they, you know, they have had a very specific path. We all have. Um, theirs has been focused on certainly way more than Gen X. I mean, we were latchkey kids, right? Nobody, but it was kind of great. Nobody was paying any attention. I did all kinds of crazy stuff, you know. Um, and that was <laughs> That's a separate episode we're going to have, Grace. Yeah. Just about that. <laughs> all the stupid crap Grace really did. Um, yeah. yeah, no, but I think that there's, but for them, they've been under the microscope um, way more in a different way. And right. um, and allowing, you know, and allowing them the voice to say, well, what is actually important to you? And I will say that, that I do think for many of them, um, it is a clear understanding of what I'm going to learn. And if I can if I can use that knowledge, is there going to be something really useful in it to help me do my job? Um, so I can advance in my career. I do think that there's a there's a huge drive, um, it, it just inherently, in them to to want to know what the what the next step is. Um, and I don't. And I don't. It, at first, I almost didn't know how to react to that. Now I really I, I talk about it more with them, so that it's it's so that they understand that I'm thinking about it. Um, yes. But there yeah. are the realities of business too. It's like, okay, you know, especially in a consulting firm, it's a little bit easier to say like, okay, well, if I would give you a raise here and we, if we pump you up to this, then, you know, then there isn't going to be enough work. So we've got to, you know, be patient. Um, and you know, we're working on it. It's not, it's not, you know, things are but communication bad. is key in that case, you yeah. know, acknowledging that, that that's their drive, that's their interest and that, you know, you're, you're working with them, but you know, there's, there's obviously giving them the whole story right. and being transparent is also important too. Yeah. So Grace, this has been amazing. I've really enjoyed learning more from your perspective. Obviously you've done incredible re thought and research around this and, and talked about it. How can people, you know, kind of circle back to you or, or find you uh, if they have further questions or just wanted to learn more about Grace? We have a website for sure. Um, WidowBryans.com is where uh, you can find a lot of information about our company. Again, we do public pr and private sector stuff. So all my stuff is more in the private sector. Um, and I am on LinkedIn. Um, so you can find me as Grace Berlin on LinkedIn. Grace, thank you again for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for joining us this week on the Failover Plan Podcast. You can find out more about my guests by visiting our website, failoverpodcast.com. This week, leave us a review on iTunes and let us know if you did so. You'll get a shout out on the next podcast and an entry into our upcoming Christmas listeners raffle. Thanks again for listening. And remember, why learn how to do something on your own when there's got to be someone else who may have already learned this the hard way. <laughs>